Steve. It's Dave. Hello, hello. How you doing? Oh, man. How lovely having you on the podcast. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. No, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about how incredibly hard my life is now. People are really sorry for me. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Dave Berry's Dad Pod, where for over two years, we've been celebrating parenthood and gathering invaluable dad advice from some very special guests along the way. My daughter, Evie, who inspired the podcast, is a bit older, but there is clearly still so, so much to learn, which is why I am delighted to be joined for this episode by an explorer, naturalist, TV presenter, MBE recipient and real life action man. He's a father to Logan and twins, Kit and Willow. It's Steve Backshall. Steve, hello. Good morning. What, what a fabulous introduction. I have to say that that entire list of achievements you just uh, listed there has not helped one little bit with, with <laughs> dadhood. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way early doors. Um, <laughs> Steve, there, there is so much to talk about, but I, I'd really like to start with, um, slightly off the beaten track, I suppose, but you're the only dad I will have the opportunity to ask this of. Of all the wildlife you've encountered over the years on your epic travels, which, which species is closest to us sapiens when it comes to parenting? Well, it, it's inevitably going to be other primates. Yeah. In fact, I, I kind of, I had a real biologist's reaction to having my, my firstborn because there were things that, that Logan did when he was a little boy that I was like, oh my goodness, that's just what chimps do. That's just what bonobos do. I mean, part of it obviously is throwing his poo around the room, which, which <laughs> chimps very much do. But there were, there were little things that he did. Like, for example, as, as he got to be just old enough to start processing the world around him, quite often he would put his finger into my mouth or into Helen's mouth. And he didn't do it to, to strangers. And that's something that baby chimps do. And they do it as a, a, a sort of a gesture of trust. You know, you're showing that you trust that someone else is not going to bite your finger off. Oh, so you okay. put your finger into their mouth to say, I trust you. You trust me. We have this bond between us. Now, with chimp, chimps, quite often that finger is going to have been somewhere unsavory before. It's probably been at very least in an ear hole or a nostril. It might have been somewhere considerably worse. And so in a hole. You know, you, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you have to kind of decide. You've got a baby chimp sat in your lap. Uh, am I going to take this finger into my mouth knowing that if I don't, then I've lost that opportunity for my bond of trust. And if I do, I'm probably going to catch something nasty. Mm. And it, it was exactly the same experience with, with Logan. And then again with the, with the two little ones. Oh, they're going to love this comparison in years to come when they listen back to the podcast. You were just like a chip. <laughs> I don't know why we hung a tire in your bedroom, Logan. It was inevitable. <laughs> Steve, let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Because from, from what I've read, and, and I hope that I'm, I'm right here, your upbringing was kind of Gerald Durrell-esque. It was Dr. Doolittle in a way. You were surrounded by all kinds of animals. What was that like? It must have been so special as a, as a young boy growing up in that environment. Yeah, it really was. So my mum and dad took a, a massive leap of faith when I was probably about four years old. Uh, they were living in a, a two up, two down terraced house uh, next to the local pub and were driving home one day and saw an advert for manure at Tempe a bag uh, from a ramshackle rundown old farmhouse. They went in to get some manure and the old guy that worked there said, I can't keep this place on my own. Um, how do you fancy swapping houses? 
So that's what they did. Wow. And they took on this, this rundown old farmhouse, basically filled the entire thing with rescue animals. We, we had uh, a donkey that couldn't get halfway through a bray before collapsing in asthmatic fits. Oh. We had um, ferocious guard dog geese, a little baby duckling that used to follow my mum around and sit in the washing up bowl while she was doing the washing up. We had bunnies, horses, peacocks, guinea fowl. Um, I used to milk the goats before going to school every morning, inevitably get covered in stinking stale milk. Um, it was it was an extraordinary childhood. Um, you know, money was always tight and difficult to come by, but mum and dad just improvised. And we led this kind of life. I mean, they had no idea what they were doing. Absolutely no idea. They were making it up as they went along. And it, it led to the most exciting out there childhood. No day was ever the same. And we were, yes, yeah, surrounded by animals and, uh, and nature from, from year dot. And that was a really sort of um, important influence on, on my life. And from there, we, you know, your, your parents worked for an airline and you would get to occasionally go to some kind of exciting places around the world. This leads into this house swap, which, by the way, is a wonderful TV format idea. Um, this, this leads into your first job working for the RSPCA when you were around kind of 12 years old. Is there a place that you, your parents took you or, or a moment where you can kind of pin it down to where you decided that this was the career for you? This is what you were going to dedicate your life to, to, to wildlife and, and to nature and, and living things? Yeah, I mean, they, they sort of talk about me basically, you know, pretty much as soon as I could walk, going through the compost heap, looking for snakes, eggs and, and worms and, you know, dead rats and birds eggs and it being my fixation from pretty much as soon as I was aware of, of what the world was. I was always obsessed with the natural world. I always had dirt beneath my fingernails and, and that kind of passion for particularly animals. I had, had a real affinity with wild animals from a, a very young age. And it was, it always seemed to me very natural that that would be the way that I would, I would go. My epiphany, my kind of moment, my eureka moment was, as you said, mum and dad both worked for, for British Airways for, for all their lives. And we got to travel to, you know, far, far flung parts of the world. I went on my first safari when I was probably about eight years old to Zimbabwe. Wow. And I can remember being on safari and the guy who was, was driving us just seemed to be omnipotent. He seemed to know everything about the natural world. We'd drive down a sandy track and he'd screech to a halt and, and lean out the window and go, oh, look, Impala you know, came this way uh, 10 minutes beforehand. It was a mother with a youngster heading down to the water to drink. And you drive down and there would be that exact animal at the water drinking. And I was like, this guy is God, I want to be him. Right. And, and so I decided from like eight years old that what I wanted to do was to work in an African uh, game reserve and be that person who, who kind of knew everything about how the natural world functioned. It obviously evolved very differently from that. But, but when I was a kid, that he was, he specifically was who I wanted to be, other than my dad, of course. Well, of course, absolutely right. Uh, it's funny, Steve, what, what I love about that is not only how informed that, that, that guy was and you had a, a respect and an admiration for his knowledge, uh, you know, of what was going on around him, but also, and this is what comes through with you, and I think why you're so, you're so dearly loved is it's the enthusiasm. You know, because people can have knowledge about, you know, a dearth of different topics, but it's the way in which you're able to get so enthusiastic about those things and convey that to other people. And you're doing that to millions on different TV channels around the world. And he was doing it to the people in his, I imagine, Jeep type vehicle. But he still managed to capture the imagination of an eight year old you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I would say that um, probably my enthusiasm is, is the thing that I am most lucky in terms of you know my the various facets to my my personality. Um, I'm quite a sunny side up kind of person. It's not in any way artificial. It's not something that I I create. I I genuinely look at the world from quite a positive perspective and I, I am really enthusiastic about everything you know my everyone who always knows me has taken the mickey out of me from a very young age about the fact that everything I do is the best thing ever and every animal I've seen is the best encounter I've ever had and every mountain I climb is the best one I've ever had and it's it's not put on it is at that moment in time exactly how I feel and you know I'm I'm really really lucky to have that you know I have a lot of friends who, who you know are the other way and and life is harder for them. Mm. Mm. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't think anyone for a moment thinks it's something that you put on for the cameras. I mean, we've only been talking for the first time for, for 10, 15 minutes and I can see that that's what you're about. So it's, it's great. When I started the dad pod, uh, Steve, it was the advice I was getting given was about navigating those early days of parenthood, the days and months of Evangeline being born. She's now two and you have three toddlers on your hands so you, you know you're traveling all over the world your partner who by the way is double olympic rowing champion uh, helen glover who has just won gold at the european championships please pass her my congratulations won't you steve um, I, I will yeah for sure so you know how on earth do you both manage to navigate parenthood together because you're both incredibly busy people and but obviously your kids are are the pinnacle they're the number one thing of the most importance in both your lives yeah they are i i think that there's there's a lot of ways that we are we are very very lucky um the first of which is i think the fact that our kids are the age they are people always react and go oh that must be horrific three under three your house must be absolute bedlam but right now at this particular period in history um it, it couldn't be better my friends who have kids who are five, six, seven, eight years old, and, and they're looking at, you know, the great gaping holes in their development, in, in their social interactions, um, in, in having to homeschool them, having to think about, you know, this whole massive complex um, society that they're having to recreate in their own houses. We don't have that. At, at, at one year old and two years old, it's enough for them to be with mummy and daddy and be, you know, learning some simple things, but essentially be being entertained and, and be having fun through lockdown and through this whole last year. Um, it, it has been both our savior, it, you know, having this, this fabulous focus in, in the form of the youngsters. Um, but also we haven't had what so many parents of slightly older uh, kids have had that, that just, I, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like that the torment of thinking I, I, I am constantly having to juggle my job and also having to homeschool my kids and yeah. also probably not doing as, as good a job as, as actual school would be doing. Mm. And the other things that we have on our hands are, are, are actually, they're, they're pre I shouldn't say this, I want to touch wood as I'm, um, I'm saying it, but they're, <laughs> they're pretty low maintenance kids. Okay. Um, yeah. Logan is, is quite able to take himself off and just bury himself in a book for an hour. Right. The, uh, the twins will quite happily play with each other on their own. That None of them have had, you know, colic or excessive teething problems they've they've all been pretty good and so you know we count our blessings every single day and i think that um what what i would say to you is is for me the twins were a piece of cake compared to logan because first time round 
we knew nothing. We were starting from scratch. We had uh, you know, no idea of what parenthood would entail. And we were all over the place. Second time round, it, it, was, it was a doddle. It was easier having the twins than it was having one baby in, in the form of Logan because we just, we'd been through it all before and we had more of an idea of, of what was possible and what wasn't. The babies are so much more robust than you think. First time round, we were treating them like he was a, a China doll. And second time round, you know, you're hanging them by their by their feet while you're doing the changing. <laughs> you know, you, you, you kind of you get more of a sense yeah. of, of what what you should be doing. I think there's so many things you just said there, Steve, are, are spot on. I, I too, and I've spoken previously on on episodes of the Dad Pod about this that I feel so grateful to have escaped because of Evie's age, the homeschooling thing, because uh, I quickly worked out that I think uh, even as an adult, that I'm a key stage two maths genius, which puts me at uh, the age of two to three. So I was really pleased about that. Um, but <laughs> you and me the, both. <laughs> yeah, one of the, yeah. One of the positive things I've found is, you know, being able to spend so much time with her over the past year, you know, it's just been, it's just been so lovely. When, when, when things do, as we slowly return to normal, uh, you know, or something close to normality, of all of the incredible places that you've been, what's at the top of the list of the ones you can't wait to share with your children, Steve? Have you found yourself in a particular corner of the world, whether it be the Amazon jungle or rainforest, or and that you just want to take the kids to when they're a bit older? Pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I think that it's it's one of the things. One of the one of the problems with the last year is that I would probably have had an opportunity to take the kids away on some trips over the last year if it yeah. hadn't been for the for the present pandemic. And uh, going away, it's been it's been a very very different experience. It hasn't been as much, which again has given me the opportunity to spend much more time with them, which I, I, is fantastic. Um, that's all going to change now that you know the trips are starting to come thick and fast and so i'm going to be spending more time away which i'm not looking forward to at all but uh, in regards to your question i think that um i cannot wait to take them to the mountains i can't wait to take them to a, a jungle jungle light i mean i'm not talking about you know hardcore full-on sort of amazonian forest but you know maybe somewhere <laughs> like maybe somewhere like the daintree in, in, in australia which is easy, safe, full of easy to find wildlife. I can't wait to take Logan out looking for, uh, for tree frogs in the jungles of Costa Rica as, oh. as the light starts to fade and that extraordinary um, avian monkey frog orchestra starts up with the cicadas and the crickets and, and take him out and find a red-eyed tree frog and see the utter joy in his face. I mean, seeing the joy in his face when we find a ladybird it makes my year. <laughs> so what it's going to be like when I show him a toucan for the first time, it's going to be mind-blowing. Um, all these things that I have the opportunity to show them, unfortunately, it's going to be, it's going to be a good while before that's, before that's possible. Oh, wait, but the way you describe it there, Steve, it's poetry, my friend. It, it just sounds so lovely. And what a thing to look forward to, to be able to do with your family. That's really rather lovely to hear that put so beautifully. As we're talking, you're off on a, on a trip. You said you weren't looking forward to that, but you're, you're doing some filming. You've got a new project. How long is that going to take you away from the family for this time, Steve? Um, so... Uh... The longest trip I've got is five weeks, uh, which might not sound very long, but at the moment, if that feels like an eternity, because um, it will be five weeks that will be remote where we, we 
you know, definitely won't have uh, Wi-Fi or 3G or anything like that. If I have the occasional sat phone call, then I'll count myself lucky. Um, but, you know, our, our business is ground to a halt over the last year. And now that it's coming back, I, mm. I kind of had to break all of my rules, all of the, the rules that Helen and I made for um, my, my traveling for work are going to have to go out the window because there's a lot of other people who are, who are counting on me being able to do these, um, do these programs. So yeah, I've got a lot of trips um, right through until the Olympics. And then I, I've taken a little bit of time off uh, for that. And then afterwards, again, it's going to start all over again. And well, when normally I would be looking forward to those, those trips and getting all super, super excited about them right now, they just fill me with dread because the kids are so young. They change, they change by the hour. You can mm. go away for a weekend and come back and they're different people go away for five weeks and you know, it's going to be hard. And then when you come back from a long trip like that, it, it takes a good three or four days for them to, to kind of, bed in and to be comfortable with you again and for the tantrums to stop mm. and the way things are going i'm going to be pretty much packing for the next trip by the time they're used to daddy being home again so um yeah it's, mm. it's going to be tricky but you know my business is coming back and for that i have to be very very grateful yeah of course i totally understand everything you're saying there steve and of course you know helen you know your wife someone who <laughs> can give birth to twins get into the gym and then go and win a gold medal. So, you know, Helen's going to be preparing herself in the right ways for this. She strikes me as the kind of person who would, but is she, is she having to kind of get into a, a, an almost Olympian mindset about this, about having the three kids on her own? Because you, as you say, you do have to go and do your job. So she understands why, but it's a, it's a big undertaking. Whenever we've spoken to people on dad pod about being, you know, single parents or their experiences of, of their mums and dads being single parents, it's, it just seems like it's such a tough thing to, do and even though it is only for a certain period of time is is there a mindset and conversations that you are having amongst yourselves at the moment i've been so impressed with the way that helen has tackled this last year because i mean i i'm her her biggest supporter her biggest fan i know what she's capable of from from, a, from an athletic perspective and i would never have doubted for a second that she could you know go back and become a champion again um at the beginning of the year i would have had serious doubts about whether she could do that and be a, an awesome mum apart from anything else she needs a huge amount of sleep and rest and recovery and the right kind of food and the right kind of preparation none of which she she is getting and i if i'm honest would probably have thought that by now she would have she would have caved there were you know last night perfect example last night um the the twins were td logan was up half the night she probably had 3 hours sleep last night and she was up again, seven o'clock this morning, back on the river for an hour and a half row. That would be one of three sessions she does today. I couldn't even, you know, even when I was in my 20s and super fit, couldn't even conceive of doing a day of it. She's doing it seven days a week. And every single time coming back at the end of that third session and straight into mummy mode, um, doesn't, doesn't take a rest, doesn't have a sleep, doesn't get her full night's sleep. I, I don't know how she's doing it. I just don't know. Um, but that to me is so much more impressive than the fact that, like you say, she's just taken yet another gold. 
Well, and that's why these people are Olympians. That's why your wife, Helen, is one. I mean, that's so amazing to hear. I mean, even if Evie doesn't sleep through the night and I go in to do my breakfast radio show and I'm wearing matching shoes, I consider that to be a gold medal event <laughs> in my life, Steve. <laughs> um, Steve, I wanted to ask you a, a question that... When I wrote this question to ask you, it was kind of supposed to be a, a, a bit of fun, but, but now speaking to you, actually, it has a, a much more serious edge to it. And what you do with, you know, scaling kind of sheer mountain faces and being around, you know, the world's most deadliest animals and some of the positions you put yourself in. And as you've just said as well, maybe with access to a satellite phone every now and again, when you became a father for the first time, did your attitude towards putting yourself in those kind of situations change? Does, some, does something else click in the back of the head or are you able to very much have a distinction between being daddy and being, being Steve, the, the kind of action man? That's a really good question. Um, I underestimated how much it would change me. Um, I have a lot of friends who, um, when they became dads, you know, would kind of, uh, confide in you over a pint and go yeah I, actually I, i'm not that not that bothered i mean all it does is kind of you know fart and poo and vomit and and they didn't really get fatherhood until quite a way down the line mm-hmm. um i had the lightning bolt like it it was instantaneous this is what my life is for this is the thing that i've been searching for all those years this is my purpose this is my meaning of life and yeah, it, it totally instantly changed my, um, my perspective on risk, my perspective on what I do for a living. I would have been fully prepared to give up my job that day, there and then. But I had these big projects that I was committed to that, you know, you've got 30, 40 other people who are working on them. They're, you know, a whole company that is relying on you being able to fulfill those obligations and then again, you know, this year I was fully ready to jack it all in and do something else. And then, you know, everything, everything changes and you don't have that, the, the opportunity of making a massive change in life because you've got three kids and you're in a global pandemic and it's the last time you need to be taking any massive gambles. Yeah. So I find myself still doing this job every time I go away thinking, I really don't want to be taking these risks. I'm a dad now, mm. you know. There, there, is, there is much more behind it than there ever was. And all I can do is just rationalize every one of those risks as much as I can, make sure we're as prepared as we possibly can be, and, and just always be thinking, you, you know, at the end of the day, it's only an expedition. You've got you've to come home from that expedition. That is the number one objective here. It's, it's not to be the first to the summit of a mountain. It's making sure that you come home at the end of that. And... I'm really surprised by how much it's how much it's changed me. How how homesick I get. I've never got homesick before, and now I get miserable homesick. Um, but that's a good thing because I kind of feel like you know I've I've been quite a searcher. I've been kind of looking for a, a meaning of life for more than forty years, and I've found that, and I and I now know what it is that you know makes me feel fulfilled and makes me feel happy. It's my it's my kids and being a dad, and making sure that I do the best job of that possible is, is why I'm here. 
Well, that's just lovely, Stephen. I mean, I've seen you searching for your purpose in life by putting your fingers into the mouth of a piranha. So I'm pleased you finally found it, man. <laughs> that, was, that was not intentional. I've got all these little scabs and scars all over my hand from... from... And I've just tried to put my finger into something's mouth and see what happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the conclusion, these have got really sharp teeth. I thought, yeah, that's true. You know, you talk about going on these expeditions and doing what you're doing and, and the fact that there's lots of people, there's your company and there's people around the world relying on you being you. You know, you're not, you're looking after the welfare of, of, of lots of people, but also in the bigger picture. And if we take a look at something like Deadly 60, so popular with, with, with younger people, um, it's important to, to, that they are educated by someone with knowledge, with that enthusiasm. And, and, and with that in mind and the work you've done on that over the years, the BAFTA award winning work, may I add, um, are you hopeful that the future generation will overcome the problems that are climate change and, and extinction? Do you, do, you, do you have faith in, in that we're moving in the right direction with that? So I, I think the best thing about my particular um, position and job right now is that I get to have um, contact with this new wave of uh, young activists, young conservationists um, who are jaw dropping. They, they are absolutely jaw dropping. You know, Greta gets all the press, but we have here in this country a thousand Gretas, um, all of whom are just as eloquent, just as driven, just as ambitious. It, it's frankly quite intimidating to be around them. Um, <laughs> at, and, you know, I get to, to see and be around these young people who believe they can change the world. And if you spend 10 minutes in their presence, you think, yeah, I, I believe you can too. Um, the word environment barely existed when I was their age. You know, being green wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, conservation, you know, I probably wouldn't even know what conservation meant when I was 16, 17 years old. And now there are thousands of young people for whom it is their reason for being. And, you know, being around them and feeling that, that passion and that refusal to, to accept um, our world being condemned and our species going extinct and our, our climate spiraling into catastrophe makes me think that, yeah, they, they can do it. They really can. And if I can have any part in, in helping them on that mission, um, then uh, it will be my, my greatest privilege to do that. And I, I, would, I would encourage anyone who is out there who's, who's feeling negative, who doesn't think that it's possible, the next time there is a, a, a young climate strike, go along, L listen to them speak and think, yeah, actually, it, to a certain extent, my generation has been asleep at the wheel and, and now it's time for real change and this lot are at the vanguard of it. Let's get behind them. Here, here, Steve. Well said, my friend. Well said. Um, over the course of the dad pod, I've been given some excellent dad advice. Um, <laughs> Chris Kamara said he always likes to check in with his kids. Tim Minchin said, put your phone away. Stop trying to film your kids doing things and enjoy it with your actual eyes. Get into the moment. Uh, Howard Donald said, get on their level if they're upset. Kneel down, be at their eye level with them. Jeff Brazier said, don't put yourself under too much pressure. Rob Beckett said, spend as much time as you possibly can in the bathroom. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> um, what would your piece of advice be for everybody who's downloading and listening right now, Steve? Savor every second. Uh, savor the tantrums. Don't, don't let them 
wind you up. Don't let them for it. Don't, don't for a second think that a, uh, a one-year-old or a two-year-old has got it in for you, which could be quite easy to, to think sometimes, you know, um, just enjoy the ride. It's over in the blink of an eye. Uh, like I said, you know, I can go away for uh, a trip of a couple of weeks and come back and they're, they're different people. And so the highs, the lows, just, you know, relish it, relish every second. Um, I love Tim's advice. I think that's, that's so, so valuable. Um, you know, make sure that you don't get too involved in your devices because you've got the most entrancing uh, tablet right there in front of you ever evolving ever changing um and that is a, a thing of great wonder here's a question i ask uh, to everyone who comes on the dad pod and it is uh, your kids hear this back in 15 years from now what would you like to say to them oh that is an absolutely awesome question i just hope that they they go their own way they follow their own path you know People are always asking Helen and I, oh, are you going to make sure that they're an athlete? Oh, are you going to make sure that they're into nature? And we sit down every night and say, don't push, don't push. Let them go their own way. And, you know, the last thing we want to do is to try and channel them towards one of our passions. Apart from anything else, it'll probably convince them that is the last thing in the world they want to do. But, you know, we, we want them to follow their own path. And I don't really care what that path is as as long as they're happy um you know i spent a lot of my childhood trying to please and fit in with people around me who who didn't have as strong an idea of who they were as i did and i really wish that i had just been happy to be me and i hope that they can do the same well, that's lovely. And finally, Steve, there's an old saying about having to pick your favourite child. You don't have to oh, name no. Yes or no, do you have a favourite child? <laughs> you cannot ask me that question. I ask oh it to everyone, God. Steve. I'm not picking on you, I swear. <laughs> well, you can see my face and, and yeah. the answer is no. <laughs> we'll leave it there steve listen um good luck on your latest adventure please do once again pass our congratulations to helen and send our love to all the family thank you so much for your time and being a brilliant guest i really do appreciate it that was absolutely lovely i had a great time thank you very very much What an incredible and inspirational guest Steve was. I don't know how he and his Olympian wife, Helen Glover, manage it. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has given the Dad Pod a follow and a nice review. They are always welcome. You can email me, by the way, directly. It's daveberrydadpod at gmail.com or contact me through Instagram. It's dave underscore berry underscore insta. Next time on The Dad Pod, I'll be joined by my first ever parenting duo. Britain's favourite podcasting couple, Chris and Rosie Ramsey, will be joining me for a chat. If you heard them on my breakfast show on Absolute Radio, then you'll know just how good they're going to be here on The Dad Pod. So until then, bye for now. Listener.